and this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. reading from the New Testament book of 1 Peter. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow, fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. You know, the, the heart is a peculiar thing. It can drive you to do things that you, you don't want to share with people, but eventually you do because it's a good sermon illustration. For example, when I was a teenager, I was sick, and I had to go to the doctor. I had, like, pneumonia-type things uh, happening, and so they gave me a shot And as the doctor was describing the shot, he said, what I'll give you is a steroid shot. Now, I was a scrawny teenager who did not like to work out. And when I did work out, I did not like for other people to watch me work out because I was a scrawny teenager and I couldn't lift much weight. So when I heard the word steroid, my ignorant teenage self thought that meant, wow, my workout's really going to change today. So I foolishly went home after getting my steroid shot, and I went home and I worked out really hard, and as you probably already know, that's not the kind of steroid that makes your muscles grow. It's a different kind of steroid shot. But I so desperately wanted my muscles to grow without having to actually go through the the vigorous labor of working out for a long time. That desire was there, and it led me to do things that uh, uh, were not good for me. It was better if I had gone home and rest, rested my body. Our heart, our desires can, can drive us to do things that are, that are not just silly and foolish like that, but it can also drive us to do things that are just downright unimaginable. You can read the news today and, and see all kinds of stories that are out there. People have, have done things because their desires were skewed, and they uh, did things that even some of them would confess, I never thought I would do that. I never thought this could be me. And so the question I have for you tonight is, how is your heart? How are the desires of your heart? What is it that is motivating you and fueling you? Where do you find your value? What is it that you're aiming for in your life? What is it, listen to this, what do you want? What do you want in life? What are you expecting in life? You know, our hearts can really lead us astray, but when they're in tune with God, 
God can lead us to do things that are unimaginably wonderful in our lives as well. So I'm going to give you three questions tonight that will help you diagnose the condition of your heart. You, like me, will probably be tempted to diagnose other people in your lives, uh, but that is, I want you to avoid that temptation, and I want you to focus on you tonight. I want you to diagnose your heart and use these questions in your life as well so that you can make sure you're doing all you can to make sure your heart is right with the Lord. If you'll follow along in your worship folder, there's an outline, and you can uh, follow along with that and make notes on that as well. Keep that with you throughout the week. The first question I have for you tonight is this. Do I desire to be significant? Do I desire to be significant at the expense of making Jesus insignificant? Do I desire to be significant at the expense of making Jesus insignificant? Some of you may be thinking, yes, I, I desire to be significant and I compromise in these ways. Some of you may be thinking, nope. I am an introvert. I don't desire to be significant at all. In fact, I'm fine if nobody ever notices me. But significance doesn't actually mean that you want to be on stage. doesn't mean that you even want to be noticed. You can be the most committed introvert in New York City, and you still desire your life to be significant. We still desire to know that this life matters, that, it, that there's purpose behind it, that there's meaning to it. And when our hearts are, are skewed, when our hearts are, are not aligned with the Word of God, and when they're not in line with his, um, his Word, then we will find ourselves going in the wrong direction. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll look at these verses again uh, that were read for us earlier, and we'll see where this significance comes from. Peter is speaking to the elders of the church now, and he's, he's at toward the end of the letter, so he's written a lot already. This is the last... Um, section of the letter that we've labeled as chapter 5 through the many years, and he's now turning specifically talking to the elders of the church. That doesn't mean the older people of the church. What it means are the spiritual leaders of the church, the, the pastors of the church. And so he's talking to them, and he says this, so I exhort the elders. I, I encourage you. I'm, I'm charging you to do this. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder himself and as a witness, Peter's talking about himself, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Like, I was there. I saw him suffer. As well as I'm, Peter, a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So he says, this is who I am. And then he tells them, in verse 2, Elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. And that means... Don't do it because you feel like you have to do it. Don't do it because it's something that you begrudgingly do. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Have this to be something that you desire to do as God would have you to do because God desires you to do this. And he continues, not for shameful gain. Other translations probably say not, not for, for greediness. Don't be greedy in this. Not for greediness, or, uh, but do this eagerly. This is something, you again, you desire to do. This is a heart issue. And then he continues. He says, not domineering over those in your charge. Not domineering over them or lording over them and oppressing them. But you're to be an example to the flock. So he's saying this, this spiritual authority office of elder in the church is not something that you're to use 
for your own benefit, your own sordid gain, but it's something that you're to humble yourselves and submit yourselves to people in order to serve them. So the shepherding over them is not a a position of power in the sense that it's uh, you do what I say or else, but it's a position of saying, I'm here to nurture you, to guard after your soul, and if need be, I will die for you. Because I want to do this. Not because I am under compulsion to do this. Not because I want to gain something from it uh, temporarily. And not because I want to have a position of power. But there's a posture of servanthood here. But the problem is when our, our goal, or when our desire is to be significant, Satan comes in and he twists these things, these good things in the church. And he'll twist them and we'll start to manipulate our circumstances in order for us to feel significant about ourselves. And when we try to have significance as our goal, we will end up being the epitome of insignificant. We are truly significant only when we make the most of Christ. Not when we're looking to make the most of ourselves, but when we serve others and we look at other people as an opportunity to serve Christ, not looking at other people as an opportunity to orchestrate the the pieces of people in our lives around us in order to do the best for us, our own gain, but we look at each other as an opportunity to serve the Lord. It's questions like this. Who am I protecting in my life? Who am I honoring? Who am I exalting? If the answer is me, 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 then our heart has been corrupted. If we're always looking out for me, then our heart has been corrupted. Christ, throughout the scriptures and um, in in the New Testament and as well, we see in the Old Testament, God has a a desire to serve those who cannot, uh, to help those who cannot help themselves. That's the whole spirit of the gospel, that we are dead in our sins. There's nothing we can do to, to be saved from it, but God has entered down and done what we could not do. And so, we are to be serving and helping others and, uh, and empowering the powerless and serving them, exalting Christ in all we do, not to be significant on our own self. So answer that question for yourself. Am I desiring to be significant at the expense of rendering Jesus insignificant? Now, I'm not saying Jesus would ever be. No matter what you do, Jesus is not insignificant. That's not what I'm saying. He's the capital significant, okay? He is the Lord. He is the King. But what I'm saying is, you reduce who he is in your mind and others' minds by what you do. Number two, question. Am I seeking temporary or eternal glory? Am I seeking temporary or eternal glory? And you may be thinking, you know what? Neither. That's the biblical answer. I'm not seeking either glory because all glory goes to God and I want to praise you. That is a great answer, but you're wrong, okay? We do seek glory and there's a glory that is ascribed to the people and I know what you mean and I agree with you too. All glory does go to God. I am agreeing with that 100%. But if you look in Romans chapter 8 and other places, there is a glory that is going to, to come to his people and I'll get to that in a second. I jumped ahead. I looked down. I need to back up just for a second. So glory, what is glory? Glory is what you exalt. It's what you treasure, it's, uh, it, you may think that you don't seek glory, but I want to share with you five um, indicators that you think about yourself too much, okay? If you suffer from one or all of these, 
that means there's some heart issues that you can pray about tonight. So number one, you, you glory in self too much if you parade in public what should be kept private. If you show off to people things that should be between you and God. You know what that is, right? I only pray when people are watching. I only think the things of God whenever people are around me. According to Facebook, you know, I have the Lord and coffee every morning, but I only really do it so I can put a picture on Facebook because I'm in a group, accountability group, whatever. So if you parade in public what should be kept private, you're thinking about yourself too much. Number two, too often you're self-referencing. You're self-referencing way too often. That means that in every conversation you have, somehow you bring it back to you. You love to talk about you. Self-referencing, too often. Number three, you talk when you should be quiet. If you talk when you should be quiet, you're thinking about yourself too much. There are a lot of times we should be listening instead of talking. Number four is for the introverts. If you're quiet when you should speak, a lot of times we should say something. And we don't, because we're too worried about what that's going to do for me. I don't really want to get in that. Sometimes that's wisdom. Sometimes there are, there are topics that are going on and uh, dialogue that's happening that we should not be entered into. Sometimes we speak when we shouldn't. It's wise to not do that. Sometimes we know that we should enter into certain conversations and speak up for those who need to speak up. And when we're quiet when we should speak, we're thinking about ourselves too much. And number five, this is for probably all of us, Uh, I think all of these are for all of us. But number five is you care too much about what people think about you. If you care too much about what people think about you, then you're glorying in yourself too much. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, this is another letter um, that was written by an apostle. This one was written by Paul. And he was writing about this temporary glory that people have. And he said in verse 18, he said, for many of whom I have told or often told you and now tell you even with tears, I'm moved to tears, many people walk now as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction and their God is their belly. And that word belly there doesn't mean a literal belly like how is your heart doesn't mean literally how is your heart, although you should take care of your literal heart as well. But this belly here is talking about appetite, desires. Their God is their desires. Whatever they want, they get. Whatever they uh, desire, they go after. Their God is their appetite, their belly. And their glory, they glory in their shame. And they do this with their minds set on earthly Things. So we're so focused in on the temporary, the things that are happening now, things we can uh, taste and touch and experience, that we do it at the expense of God's eternal truth. And we contrast that with eternal glory, and we can look back here at what Peter said in uh, chapter 5, verse 1, if you'll read that with me, back in 1 Peter. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as, fellow elder, as a fellow elder and a witness in the sufferings of Christ, as well as, look at this, a partaker in the, what? Glory. Peter's saying, I'm a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. There's this glory that is going to be revealed, and I'm, I'm part of that. 
that there's something God is going to bring that is magnificent, that is, that is glory. And then in verse 4, we'll skip down to that, and he, he's speaking to them, and he says, and when, after you do these things the right way, when the chief shepherd appears, and who's he referring to there? The chief shepherd. Jesus. When he returns, you will receive the unfading crown of what? Glory. Say it loudly. Glory. That there's this glory that God has for his people. That it's not something that we're seeking. He's not giving them, hey guys, you really should do this elder thing really well because it's going to pay off in the long run. And there's an aspect of that. That's not the motive for it. The motive is don't give up the eternal glory that God has for you for the temporary pleasures and glory of the world. In fact, there's such a, something much greater that your glory, if you want truth for your life right now today, your glory is to reflect God's magnificent glory. That is what's most glorious for you in your life, is for God to shine his glory into your life and for you to reflect it out into the world. Romans chapter 8, I'll read this for us. Uh, it'll be on the screen as well. Uh, verses 18 and following. You read the whole chapter. It's wonderful. We did a, a sermon series on this uh, some time ago. And this is one of those that stood out to me as we went through it. He says, uh, this is Paul writing again. And he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, anybody agree that there are things we just suffer through in life? That, that there's just tough things in life? Four of you? Four? I'm getting more of you. Okay. So, I know it's hard to raise hands in church for some people. I know, again, it's just almost, you know, um, stressful. It's anxiety. We're talking about anxiety next week, too, so we'll be back for that. Um, so, for I consider the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing with the what? Glory. That is to be revealed to us. For the creation, the world, the creation around us, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, the sons of God here doesn't mean the, the masculine people, the, the males of God. Uh, it's, a, it's an adoption thing. And so the, in this culture, when Paul was writing this, the ones who inherited from the father were the sons. The daughters didn't inherit anything. They would be married, and they would go to another, and they would be part of another house. And so what he's saying here is that you as the sons and daughters are heirs with Christ and you are going to receive this as him. And so there's glory coming from men and women who belong to God. In verse 20 it says, for the creation was subjected to futility. There's, there's pains, there's storms, there, the earth doesn't work the way it originally worked when God created it. Not willingly subjected, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the what? Glory. So the world is actually rejoicing for the day and, and anticipating the day when Christ returns and he glorifies his children and we reign with the Lord in the new heaven and new earth. In verse 22, so we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have, uh, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives within us, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's a future glory that is coming for all those who are in Christ, and it's called a resurrected body. There's a glory that's going to come and on us, and we are going to, to shine 
brightly with God's glorious favor and presence, and we're going to be uh, with him forever. Every flaw that we think we have and every flaw that we do have is going to be done away with. We are going to stand before God more beautiful than any bride has ever stood before uh, anyone at her wedding party. Isn't that amazing? That there is a glory that awaits for us. And so the question is, are you, are you seeking temporary glory for your life? Or are you seeking the eternal glory? Your glory now, no matter how small or great, will most certainly fade away to nothing. You can amass the greatest empire, and it will fade away to nothing. But your glory now can also be the fact that you know that there's a future glory that God gives to all of his children, and it far surpasses anything the world can add or can offer. It surpasses in value, and it surpasses in the length of time it will last. It's exponentially worth more, and it will last forever. Amen? Even if you own a helicopter, and you can fly it over the church and disrupt the sermon, it won't last forever. Okay? For those of you listening online, a helicopter just flew over the church. Sometimes I listen to these later, and I'm like, I don't think people are going to know what I'm talking about there, so... Um, there's that. So let me ask you this question with the temporary and eternal glory as our thought. What is the thing in your life that you can't live without? Could be a person. So what in your life is the thing or the person that you can't live without? That if this was taken away from you, you would no longer want to live. The answer to that question is your glory. The answer to that question, listen, that's your Lord. That's an idol if it's not God. If it's God, it's not an idol. That's your Lord. That's the thing that you worship. That's a tough question to answer, right? Because I'm a, a husband and I'm a father. And so I, I understand those types of loves. But to give our life proper perspective and not glory in the things that we can't keep forever, understand that glory is coming, that we're not to exalt ourselves, but we're to exalt Jesus and we're to emulate him as well. Look with me at number three, the, the last question here. The last question is, am I opposed to or aligned with God? Am I opposed to God or am I aligned with God? I can't imagine anything worse than awakening to the reality that I'm in a war with an enemy and then realizing my enemy is God. Am I opposed to God or am I aligned with him? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. We'll finish this section of scripture. So he talks to the elders and he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. 
And this elders here is, uh, I do believe, a, ref- a reference to not only the spiritual authority elders of the church, but to older people in the church. So elder can be used in different ways. But he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, and all of you means all of you. You know, there you go, that's for free. All of you, clothe yourselves with what? With humility towards one another. Why? Why with humility towards one another? And here's why. He quotes a proverb here. He said, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. God stands against the proud. God is an enemy of the proud. The proud are the enemy of God. You are opposed to him, but he gives grace abundantly to the humble. 1 Peter 1, 2. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Pride puts you on the wrong team. It puts you in opposition to God, and it has no room in the heart of a Christian. How is your heart? Is it prideful? Is your way always the right way? Do other people need to conform to your ideas in order for the world to be right again? Is your husband always wrong or is your wife always wrong? Are your kids always wrong? Yes, they are. (laughs) Um, (laughs) How is your heart? I won't ask you to do this right now, but I want you to do this. I want you to mine the depths of your heart. I want want you to just take this and, and ask these types of questions. Ask the hard questions what are my motives when I'm engaging this person, when I'm, when I'm talking to this person, when I'm uh, entering into a, a dialogue or a debate? What are my motives? Or what am I wanting to get from this? Why do I not care about those people? Why does it bother me when they bring their problems to me? I don't care. Why? Why do you not care about them? Why do those people get on your nerves? You know who those people are? We all have those people, right? That they're hard to love. Why do they get on my nerves? Why do they bother me? Why does that person anger me so much? Well, the quick answer is you're responsible for your anger, so they actually don't anger you. They may push the buttons, your anger button, but you're responsible for what happens next. You may ask yourself this question, why am I staying silent about this issue? when I should be speaking up? Why am I letting people take advantage of me? Ask the hard questions. And I want you to aim to have a different kind of heart. A heart that loves God with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Look with me in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus was trying to be trapped by the Pharisees, the religious zealots of the day and they couldn't stand him because he was he was messing up their power struggle i mean their power structure and so they they wanted to to do things a certain way and he came in and and he caused a lot of problems for them uh thank god he caused problems because their problems wouldn't be healed unless he did what he did but the pharisees heard in verse 34 chapter 22 in matthew the pharisees heard that jesus had silenced the sadducees He put them in their place, and they gathered together. And one of them, who was a lawyer, asked 
Jesus a question in order to test him, and he said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then he kept going. He said, And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He said, when it comes to your heart, you got to love God with all of it. All of your heart. Not even all that, but all of your soul and all of your mind to love God like this. And then when you think that's done, or that's enough, there's more. There's one connected to it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Don't you dare tell me that you love God and then you hate your neighbor. Because that's not biblical. In fact, it says very clearly in, uh, I believe, 1 John in the New Testament that if you say that you love God and you hate your brother, that you are a liar and the truth is not in you. Aim to love God with all of your heart. As you mine the depths and you see these areas where you struggle, realize that there is hope for you because Jesus stood up to the Pharisees and he submitted himself to the Father and he went and he became the sacrifice for us that gives us hope today that our hearts can be made new in Christ. That's the good news of Jesus. You can absolutely love God this way. You can love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God will not tell you to do something and not give you the ability or the power to do it. He will do that. When you realize that Jesus is all you truly have, that he's eternal, when he's, the only thing you can really keep is God. And when you realize that, that he's all you truly need, that you don't need the, the other things in life that we value and that are good, but we don't need them. And when you realize how great of a treasure the kingdom of God is and what we have in him, when you realize those things, it will be easy for you to love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind but we have to mine the depths. God, how am I not loving you the way I should? Teach me how to do this. I'm uh, reading a book. It's the, the month of Ramadan for our Muslim neighbors, and I'm reading a book uh, that is about a, a man who converted from Islam to Christianity. And one of the things that he pointed out was the way he grew up, and um, it was very, was very different than the way I grew up as a, as a Christian. And one of the things he pointed out, in, in his opinion, he said there, there are a lot of Muslims who, who devoutly know their scriptures. They, they memorize them in uh, Arabic, and they memorize portions, if not all, the Quran even, and uh, Hadith, I believe is how you say it. I've only read the word. Um, and so uh, they, they do these traditions and say they know these things by rote memory. They can just spout them out to you. But he said a lot of them, listen, a lot of them don't understand the meaning of what they're saying. That they don't understand the reason behind it. They don't the motive behind it, the heart behind it. And as I was reading that, I thought, man, that, that's similar to, to maybe me. And maybe to a lot of Christians. But maybe on the other scale, the other side of it. That a lot of times, we can understand the heart behind Jesus. We can, we can understand the fact that, that, that there's truth to it but we don't go through the, the vigorous practices of putting the Word of God into our hearts. That, it, that this grace that God gives us is almost an excuse 
for us to do whatever we want to do because, hey, we're not going to hell. We've got Jesus. And so I thought, there's got to be like this, this middle road that, that there's this desire that we should have as Christians to give God everything that we have, to put the Word of God into our heart, to, to desire to not consume, but to, um, to feast upon the Word of God and to, to learn it and to, and to keep it within us. And I believe when we do that, God will also unlock the more, more of the meaning of that within our lives as well. Do you love God? I have good news for all of us today. Without a shadow of a doubt, I can promise you with full authority that whether you answer that yes or no, or whether it's on a sliding scale where you're like, I don't know, like 60%, I like 60% love God, or wherever it is that you may be on there, I can promise you this, God loves you. No matter where you, at, where you are on that scale, God loves you, and he has expressed that love to you through Jesus. When you love God with all of your heart, you're going to find out that you will be significant. And you're going to find out that you will receive a true glory from God. And you will find out that you have the most powerful force in all of creation living within you and empowering you by God's Holy Spirit. God is on your side. Keep asking yourself every day, how is my heart? Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for uh, the word that you give to us in your scriptures, and and I thank you for the glory that is set aside for your children. I pray that you would uh, allow us to... Um, the opportunity to expose our hearts before you and to lay them out there and, and to ask these hard questions. I pray that you would purify our hearts and give us a, 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 new, a new heart that is like yours, that, that beats in line with you and, and that desires what you desire and, and uh, detests what you detest. And I pray that we would exalt Jesus in every area of our lives. Uh, one day, God, we, we know this through Scripture, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I pray that uh, that day is already today for us. May we acknowledge you every day and give you our, the entirety of our heart in Jesus' name. Amen.